Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Podcast. Watch us live every Sunday morning at 9.30 or 11.05 a.m. at gosblive.com or visit us in person. You can find directions at gostonebridge.com. Connect with us on our social media at facebook.com slash and our Instagram at sbchurch. All right, so we've been talking about building uh, values and building family values in your life and if you're like me, of course, you had a, a physical family. You may not have had a good relationship with, with that family, your mom and dad. Maybe, you know, there are some people who didn't even know really their, their mom and dad. But you started with that kind of family, and then, and then God decided that it was also good that you have another family, a spiritual family. And that's when uh, Jesus came and began the church so that there are values that you might take from your mom and dad. But at the same time, if those values are not strong enough or they're not sustainable enough, they're values that you take from this spiritual family that you have, where God teaches you some things about life as a heavenly father, a a, a parent who understands us, knows how to develop us and uh, move us forward. And I, I decided to use a sort of a phrase that came from my dad. Now, my dad, like, um, uh, a lot of people my age, you know, came up during uh, War II, and my mom did. And uh, just to let you know, neither one of my parents were, came from families that had ever gone to college. No one had ever done anything like that. And so they were determined that their kids would go to college. At least my mom's parents were. Uh, my dad's parents, uh, you know, just kind of let it go. But he ended up going to college. And, and so they had some ideas about what would make your life better, Right. You know, um, what, would, what would be good for my kids to learn and move forward? And my dad would tell me this. Maybe your parents have done this before. He would say this. He would say, listen, you can do anything you want to do. You can do anything that you put your mind to. You, there are no limitations. There are only possibilities, which was one of those things that, you know, my, my dad, my mom, you know, they wanted their kids to be creative um, to, to think outside of the box in one sense, not to think, you know, there, there are limitations on my life and to, uh, to move forward. And, and it makes sense, doesn't it? Don't you want your kids to do the same thing? Sure, you dream for your kids. You want to build dreams into your kids. Um, mo- for the most part, our culture after World War II became a culture of only say positive things to your kids, uh, only talk to them about what they could become, You know, we've moved into this idea that you just tell your kids all the time, you're great, you're wonderful. But here's the problem with that. Here's the problem for me. I wanted to ask my dad this question. I'm sure I did. Yeah, but what should I become? What should I do with my life? What should I pursue? I understand I can do anything. I can go after anything. But but what's worth going after? And I'll I'll turn it to a a different sort of uh, angle. Um, I think that you can fill your life with anything you want. You can. And, and we all have that ability, that opportunity to just fill our lives or, you know, fill up our hearts with anything we want. But here's the question. Same question I asked my uh, dad, but framed in a different way. But what should you fill up your heart with? What are you going to fill your heart up with that if, if you fill it up with that, at the end of life, you'll say, man, I'm so glad I did that. It, it, it changed me so much. It made life so, you know, meaningful, gave such satisfaction. It helped lead me in a way that the things I worked on, the things I did, I realized those things counted. 
those things mattered rather than to fill up my heart with other things that might lead me away from the things that matter, right? Everybody there? Sure, of course. I mean, we all, we all want the same thing. And, and in one sense, if you look at um, what Paul writes to the Ephesians, he's actually going to go after exactly that issue. Maybe at an angle that you didn't, you didn't think of when you read it, but he actually goes after this. At the, at the end of chapter 4, this is what Paul says. He says, this is what you want to pull out of your heart. You want to take this away from what's inside of you. And we talk about this a lot. He says, take out bitterness, take out wrath, take out slander, take out clamor, take out the wicked, evil things that we can all go to and we can all chase after. And when we chase after them, you know what we would do? We would say, yes, but I have a right to be that way, right? You ever feel, you know, really angry and and bitter at all? And someone says, hey, don't feel that way. And you say, well, if you just knew what I went through, right? My my team didn't make it to the Super Bowl. I should be angry. And and it's funny because the things that we kind of latch onto to, 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 to cause that, most of the time are not lasting things. They're just temporary things. And we just sort of just take them to heart. They fill up our heart and they lead, them, lead us in the wrong direction. So he says that. And then the last verse in chapter four, he says this, but be instead, here's what you do instead. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has done what? What? Yeah. So he's talking about filling your heart with something other than what the world normally or kind of falls into uh, filling their heart with, unless God himself, unless a parent, you know, intervenes with his children and says, you don't want to do that. Bad way to go. It may seem like it, you know, just for the moment and with what you're going through, but you know, it's not a, it's not a good way to go. You, you want to go this direction um, instead. So this is what he says in the beginning of chapter number five of Ephesians. He writes this, he says, Imitate who? Yeah, the reason he says it is because that's your father. That's the one, I'm way over here. Man, here I'm supposed to be right here. Okay, the cameras are probably going, where did he go? Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. And he says, why? Why should you imitate God? Your children, sure. Your sons and daughters. Of course you should imitate your father. Your father knows He's more experienced than you are. He has plans for you. And the most important thing you can do is not necessarily, I know this is tough, not necessarily chase your own heart because what he's talking about is what's going to drive your heart, what's going to fill your heart, what's going to cause you to chase after things. Instead, fill your heart with this so that your heart would lead you in, in a better direction. You chase after God's heart. You chase after the things that, that God believes are important. Then he adds this, and this is uh, in verse number two in your outline. If you have one of those, I actually underlined it for you because I knew you wouldn't. No, I'm just, uh, I'm sorry. I just, sometimes I do things like that. Listen to this. He says, live a life. And what kind of life does he say you should live? Live a life. What? Oh, got to say that with me again. Live a life. What? Yes. And you think, oh man, So in other words, Paul was one of those hippies, right? You know, oh, we just love everybody. And so, no, that's not not who Paul was. Because uh, he's not letting you, when he says this, define love any way you want to define love. 
Love, you know, I know one of the, the slogans you'll hear uh, sometimes, I've been hearing it for a long time, is that love is love. In other words, what that means is however I choose to define it, that's what it is. Well, that's not true. Imagine if you went to the store and you said, hey, you know, um, I'd like a, a bag of oranges. And you, you, you know, you, the, the, the person at the grocery store brought you a bag of persimmons. Anybody ever eaten a persimmon? Okay, this would tell what part of the country you were raised in. So persimmons are bitter. I mean, unless they're really ripe. I mean, they're just awful. And they brought, he brought you a bag of persimmons. And you would say, no, 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 th- these aren't oranges. He says, well, that's what we call them. Right? You, you'd be kind of ticked off when you say, yeah, but that, you have to establish the definition of what is what we're talking about. And, and, and God establishes this idea of love from his perspective, what he calls love, and it's different a lot of times than what the world outside of God or doesn't know God or is kind of trying to live its own way calls love because if we can redefine it then it's already for me to chase this because even God says hey love you know but this is how I define love I don't know if you know this but the uh, government establishes definitions did you know that so if you buy something and it says all beef you ever bought something says all beef does that mean uh, only the uh, muscle from the cow is that what it means or does it mean anything that comes from the cow could be called all beef. The government actually establishes what of the cow is called beef and what of the cow is not beef. Because if you went and you bought some hamburger patties, and of course it said all beef, or maybe you got some hot dogs and you, you know, you got all beef. I personally, I like Oscar Mayer, the original. I don't know what they put in them, but they're really good. So, you know, but uh, so if you got all beef hot dogs, right? And you cut that hot dog open and you found uh, cow's hide in there, hair in there, or you found a piece of a hoof, you'd be like, what? I can't eat this. Who allowed this to be put in there? So the government establishes that if you call it this, it has to be this. God does the same thing. And the problem with us is we have a tendency to redefine the things that God talks about. And because of it, a lot of times we end up with something we say, this was it? This is what I was really looking for. This is what was going to satisfy. It, it may have tasted good. You know, it may have been something I thought I wanted, but is it really what I wanted? Well, a parent would say, no, this is what you want. This is the thing that's going to fill you up. And this is the thing that's going to make a real difference in your life. So this is what he says, live a life filled with love. And then he says, following who? Christ. Yeah, because in Jesus, you're going to find a definition of what love is really all about. In, in God's son coming to the earth, putting on flesh and blood, he demonstrates, he gives us an example of the type of love that he is talking about, the love that he is calling love. Following the example of Christ, he loved us, and here we go. He offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to the God. That, that just means when God saw what Jesus did and how Jesus lived and how Jesus loved us, how he taught us what love was all about, God went, that's great stuff, isn't it? <laughs> that stuff that would leave my sons and my daughters uh, full in life. That stuff that would, would lead them, how, whatever they do, whatever their profession is, wherever they live, whatever their circumstances are, if I can get this inside of them, if I can teach them to fill their, their hearts, their lives with this, boy, their lives are going to matter. Their lives are going to have great meaning to them. They're not going to be wasted. Their, their lives are going to have 
a, a real sense of satisfaction even to them. Now, I know that you may think, well, I'm not so sure about that. Because it, it seems, we live in a world that it says, well, I think that you should fill your, you know, your life with wealth. Because then if you fill your life with wealth, then your life will have great meaning. But the, but the, the truth is, there are a lot of people that fill their lives with wealth, and, and their life doesn't have satisfaction and meaning to it. Or I think you should fill your life with, you know, with great fame. Because if you're, if you're famous, you know, then all of a sudden, you know, you will have great, a great sense of satisfaction and meaning in your life. But that's not what he says. He's talking about not something that's on the outside of what we are. He's talking about something that goes in here. I, I love to tell the story. One time I'm, I'm walking down my driveway. There's a guy that walks up. And uh, he, 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 I, I know he's selling something, but he's really nice. And uh, so he starts talking to me. And, and I enjoy talking with people. Uh, it's one of those things that's just, you know, kind of a part of, of, of how God has wired me at this stage of my life. And as you're talking to him, he also says, are you like a football coach or something? Out of the blue, yeah. And he says, because you just have this presence about you and all. Now listen, I've been around long enough at that time to know I'm being set up. Yeah. He doesn't know me. He, does, he is absolutely stroking my ego and he's trying to pull me in because he's about to sell me something. And here's the wonderful thing about it. I know it and I fall for it anyway, right? I start going, my chest starts to go out further. You know, I start thinking, you know, is everything put up right? And what does my hair look like? And, you know, and, and, and I, truth, um, it, it, it so messed me up and I knew it messed me up. It really took about a month for me to get over it. It did. I mean, it was just one of those things. I know it's not true. I know I'm being set up but you still fall for it because we like it. We like it. That's not what God tries to do for us. That's not what the loving father does for his children. He doesn't try to puff us up. He doesn't try to get us to feel good about ourselves just for the sake of feeling good about ourselves. God instead tries to build something, teach us to build something in our lives that through our lives will produce something that, that gives us cause or reason to look back and say, you know, it was worth, worth going through all this, worth living like this. It's worth going through the struggles that I went through, the trials that I went through, the difficulties that I went through. All of life as I look back, you know, God built something into my life that mattered, something that, uh, that counted. And I put in your outline, um, you know, um, you don't have to add anything to this, but what does it look like? Because of course, you know, if you're going to talk about building something into someone's life, you want to say, and, and how do I know it's the real thing? And so he, you know, already he's already talked about two things. First of all, Jesus himself, right? Just look at who Jesus is and, and you'll have an idea of, of what it looks like. And the second thing, you find this all through the scripture, those who've come before us. And that means those who've come before us who had this built into their lives, who trusted God and the Father built them up, and you look at them and you say, hey, that's the real stuff. That, that's the stuff that matters. I, I, I've told the story before about a friend. Um, they used to be here, they, they've moved, and um, he was a guy that was very accomplished, and he worked really hard on principles in life, and uh, taught a lot of uh, companies, uh, leadership principles and things like that. And I asked him one time, I said, so here's my question, because he became a believer, a follower of Jesus later in life. I said, what attracted you or what caused you to become a follower of Jesus? He said, well, 
I met people, even after all that he pursued, he said, I met people and they had something that I didn't have and I wanted it. And I thought, yeah, that's exactly it. There was, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't their professionalism. It wasn't how much money they had. It wasn't what they accomplished. He, he says, I realized there was something inside of them. There was something living in them that I did not have that. And I wanted that. And so, you know, that's how I found Jesus, by watching their lives or talking to them or listening to them. And, and you realize that's your life? That, that everybody that encounters you, you know, they get a chance to say, is there something different about that person? And to find out that it's actually Jesus Christ who is living inside of you and teaching you a different way and, and helping you deal with life in a way that, that maybe they say, I wish I could deal with life that way, but I, I don't know how to do it. And, and, and he lives through us. He tries to shine through us that would draw so in a way that it would draw people to him not not to us they may be initially drawn to us but eventually to be uh, drawn to him now there's this book in the new testament called hebrews and there's a famous chapter hebrews chapter 11 which is called a lot of people call it the faith hall of fame and and in that chapter it's just kind of packed with these stories of people in the old testament who believed and who god worked in their lives and because of their faith, their trust in him, God did just amazing things in their lives. And uh, if you read those stories, the, the thing you will be shocked by is the, the variety of, of the stories, who they were, what their backgrounds were. No similar background, uh, no similar uh, sense of what they accomplished, but instead, because of their trust in God, what God actually did in them. And then um, in Hebrews chapter 12, it says this, this is from Phillips paraphrase, so just to let you know, I always like to tell people, uh, J.B. Phillips wrote his own kind of paraphrase of the Bible. It's not a translation, uh, but, and it's an older one, and so some of the words may sound strange, but I really liked J.B. Phillips' paraphrase. This is what he says in cha uh, Hebrews chapter 12. He says, surrounded then, as we are, by these serried ranks of witnesses. Do you know what serried means? Anybody know about Siri? Because I'm going to call on you. No, I won't, I won't call on you. You know what Siri means? It means jam-packed. They're just kind of packed in tightly there. You can't miss them. And, and so there's this jam-packed, and he's talking about uh, the chapter before, all the people he wrote about, it, even though, of course, this is in no way exhaustive of all the people who followed and trusted you know, God, and God built something into their lives. But he says, since we are surrounded by, and, and it doesn't mean, I used to think it meant like they are watching us, but that's not actually what it means. It means they came before us. And we can look at their lives, and we can look back at the witness of their life, trust God, believe God, and this is how God took them through things. So, so he said, surrounded by these serried ranks of witnesses, let us, catch this, strip off everything that hinders us. Wow. Let's let go of everything that's going to slow us down, stop us from becoming the, the people, the men and women, the boys and girls that God made us to become. And that absolutely has to do with what he puts inside of us, as well as then the life, um, the life that he gave us. He says, as well as the sin which dogs our feet. I like his paraphrase. It uh, actually literally says, the sin that so easily 
entangles us. It so easily trips us up. It causes us to stumble, to fall, to not make progress and not run the race that God has put before us in this world. So let's take off everything that encumbers us, that, that hinders us, and also, you know, make sure that we don't get entangled in the sins of this world. Um, you remember Lance Armstrong? So Lance Armstrong, pretty famous guy. I won't go into through his uh, struggles and falls at the end, but I remember seeing a special on Lance Armstrong, and so he's a guy that you know won the Tour de France, and uh, he decided he wanted to be you know one of those bicycle racers that that do crazy things like climb mountains on bicycles. I'd watch the Tour de France, and I was like, yeah, I'd like to be the guy in the car driving. You know, that man, that just looks like a lot of work. I mean, it's so hard, but amazing what he was capable of doing and and what he did. And I remember watching this special, and uh, he wanted to be a a racer. And uh, so there are these pictures of him at this age, I guess coming out of college. He's a really fit athlete. He's strong. He's got nice size arms and everything else too. And he goes to the coach that trains the top racers. And one of the things that kind of jumped out to me is the coach said, older man, he looked at him and says, okay, the first thing is you're going to get rid of all this. And he pointed to all this upper body muscle. And I was like, what? No, this is, you know, what makes the girls go, yes. You know, I, you know this, is, this is the way you want to look. And he says, listen, this is about racing. And the only thing matters when you're climbing mountains is how strong your legs are and how little what? Weight you're carrying with you. And he said, all of this is unnecessary. You got to quit doing that. Don't go in there and lift any more weights in the upper body. Don't go. You've got to drop the weight as low as you can because that you decrease the weight, you're going to go faster and your endurance will get better. And I thought, wow, because that doesn't fit to me the way I look at life and the way I think life should be. But that's actually what Paul is saying. The things that are going to slow us down and going to encumber us. You, you weigh them in light of what does God want to do in my life? What is he trying to build into my life? And then the things that would weigh me down, i got to put those aside. Would anger and bitterness weigh you down if you want God to build love inside of your life? Wrath, slander. Spend your life you know, trying to find ways to put other people down or tear other people down in order to lift yourself up. Would those things slow you down in the race? I think you, most of us would say, yeah, that's probably unnecessary weight or body mass that we should not be carrying with us if we were going to be racers. This is what Paul is saying. Well, you just got to be strategic and you got to think about this and realize there's certain things that will make the race harder. And the things for me to learn that God wants to build in my life, it'll make it more difficult for me to learn those things and to build those incredible strengths inside of my life. Let go of them. And then the sins that so easily, he says, entangle us. I know that um, modern culture, we don't talk a lot about sins and we don't talk about, you know, the things that we say, you know, that's, that's evil. That's not, you shouldn't be doing those things. Instead, you know, we use a lot of other language. We talk about maybe, you know, dysfunction or things like that, that, that kind of, you know, temper it. But what he's talking about is there are things that will just trip us up and we'll go the wrong direction. And God says, don't do those things. Don't get involved in those things because it's not what you need if you're going to run this race. If you want to get to the end of the race and and run the race of your life and look back and say, man, it was worth it. (laughs) It was worth it. 
It was such a good race. It was such a good life. And it won't be just doing everything that you feel like doing. You have to be strategic. You have to think about it. You've got to grow in your, in your reasoning and your understanding and, and let God teach you the things that you need to, uh, to know. So he says, he talks about the sins that dog our feet. And he, then he says, and let us run the race that we have to run with, as Brian talked about last week, patience means endurance. You know, the sense of I'm not going to quit. Uh, I'm not going to give up. Our eyes fixed on who? On Jesus. In other words, there's our example, our supreme example. And he says that Jesus is the source and the goal of our faith. In other words, he's the source of the strength that we have. He's the one that builds a love inside of us that we wouldn't have otherwise. And he's also the goal that we're saying, man, I need to be more like him um, in my life. And then he says, for he himself, Jesus, endured the cross and thought nothing of its what? See, there's one of the things that trips us up, causes us to struggle. Well, man, I'm not going that road. You know, I'm, I don't want to be involved in things that make me feel ashamed of what, how I've lived my life. But Jesus knew, no, that, that's going to be part of the price, but I'm going to take that path anyway so that I can free uh, the people that God's love. He says that he thought nothing of its shame because of the joy that he knew would follow his suffering. Yeah, so he had his eyes on the goal. Jesus is still moving forward to the task. And he knows that when he gets there, he'll look back and say, listen, it was worth it. It was worth it. That's that patience, that endurance, that, that long suffering that the Bible talks about, which is not easy. In fact, I will tell you that if you're going to do this, you cannot do it by yourself. You will not make it if you just say, I will determine that I will run the race. No, you're not going to make it by yourself. You need God's strength. You need God's spirit that he promises to give us, that Jesus promises to give us to, to give us strength and energy inside you need other people that that are trying to do the same thing and say you know i'm i'm after the same goal who would encourage you you need other people that you look back upon that he talks about that say they did it they went after it weren't sinless weren't perfect but they were determined to to keep trusting god and let god build into them what he wanted to build into their heart to fill their life up with so i can do the same thing then um He's going to talk about, and, and you, would, you would think this would make sense, he's going to go a little negative on us. He's going to talk about the things that, that you and I should stay away from. And I just put on here because my, my wife likes me saying this, stay away from junk food, right? Because she tells me this all the time. You know, it's one of the, the bad things about modern technology. If I go to McDonald's, she knows it. Because it shows up on her phone, you know, that I use, because I don't carry cash or anything like that. And all of a sudden, you know, I go and I use Apple Pay. Do you like Apple Pay? I love Apple Pay. I go, yes. And I tell them, I get to do this. It goes ding, and I don't have to pay for it. And, uh, okay, maybe you do have to pay for it eventually. But, you know, I, she, and she can, she can tell. And she will, almost every day, she lets me know if I went by McDonald's or not. I'm like, okay, there we go again. I went by McDonald's. And uh, because, because I like it, but, but she will say, you just need to stay away from the junk food. So here's what he says. This is verse 3. He says, let there be no sexual immorality. That's the junk food in our lives. Let there be no sexual immorality, no impurity, no greed inside of us. 
Such sins have no place among God's people. In other words, that's not where we're headed. That's not what God has designed us for and built us for. He said, obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. In other words, here's what you can fill your life up with instead. And, and the good thing about it is, if, if you fill your life up with being thankful to God, it's really hard to fill your life up with the other things. Because one of them is going to push the other one out because they just don't mix at all. And then he says this. Um, he says, you can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ or of God. For a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. So what he's saying is those things sort of lead us in a different direction. Those things lead us to saying this world is all there is. And the things of this world, I'm not talking about trees. I'm, I'm talking about the things that, that the, the people in this world that don't know God go after and think that will make my life important and that will make my life meaningful and it just doesn't work. You know the thing about junk food that's, that's absolutely true? Junk food, the, the appeal of it is it's fast, right? Junk food, what else appeals to us about junk food? Tastes good, absolutely, yes. They have mastered the art of man. It tastes good. If you go by McDonald's, I know I'm bringing up McDonald's, I'm not trying to promote them, but if you go by McDonald's and the fries are fresh, which they're supposed to be, oh my goodness, you know, at least for a minute, you know, they're, they're really good. And then later that day, you go like, why did I eat those? I know why I ate those. Man, they just, they just tasted so good. And the other thing is this, in this world, they are readily available, aren't they? Because <laughs> the world understands. The world outside of, of, of God understands the appetites of human beings and knows how to appeal to those appetites and play those appetites and, and, and work those appetites for its own um, uh, profit and its, and its own motive, not necessarily for your good. You know, I like it that you know, we, we know, uh, we talk about it. You know, there are even uh, ads sometimes that are taken out, and yet at the same time, Boy, that's where we go after. In fact, I got in trouble a long time ago. One time I said um, in church, I said, you know, here's the thing about sin. We like it. <laughs> it, it, it feels good. It, you, you don't, no one forces you to sin. You know, no one came up to you and held a gun to your head, took you by McDonald's and said, I want you to eat this junk food. And you're going to, you know, I know you're not going to like it, but you're going to eat it. No, it's the opposite it plays off of our appetites. I got in trouble because there's a, a, a parents came up to me and they didn't like it because they said, I, don't tell our daughter that. I said, I don't have to. She already knows it, you know. We all inherently know it. It feels good. We like it for a moment. And then we don't necessarily like the effects of it. And, and as we go down the road and we see those things and the negative effects in our life, we can even look at those negative effects and say, I know that's where it came from, but still choose to kind of ignore it, push it aside because, but I still like it. So I want to, I want to go after the things I like and, and eat the things I like. I know Brian, you know, showed you, cause I had a lot of people to the, the chocolate cake, you know, that he showed you how to make anybody take the recipe. Has anybody made Brian's chocolate cake? Okay. A few people have already done it. Just to let you know, don't do it. Junk food. I'll teach you how to make instead 
an angel food cake undercooked that's even better. And is it healthy for you? No, it's worse. But I'll teach you, you know, right, that's, that's the way the world works. And, and it's okay that we live in this world. God doesn't, you know, take us out of this world. And God doesn't say, you know, section yourself off so you'll never be uh, facing those temptations. It's actually the opposite. God wants to teach you how to resist those temptations, how to go for something else and to strive for something else rather than, you know, fall for those things uh, that are put in front of you. This is what he says in verse six. He says, don't be fooled. I like this too. Don't be fooled because there's the other side of it to those who try to excuse these sins. That means they try to say, no, no, it's really not bad for you. <laughs> Everybody's like this. In fact, let's, let's find somebody, you know, that you think is so wonderful. Billy Graham, I can show you some of the things he ate, and I have record where he went, you know. The, the, the world just tries to find some reason to excuse it so that you won't feel as, as guilty or as bad about doing those things that we fall into, you know, so that you'll say, but, but it's really okay. And every once in a while, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to someone who, who says, I, yeah, I know, but but you know, chasing after those things is, is really okay. In fact, the, the religions of the world, especially you go back to their day, I mean, the Roman gods, the Greek gods, the, you know, the Egyptian, the, the, a lot of them practice these very same things. They said, this is natural appetite. This is who we are. This is a way to worship the gods. No, it's not. <laughs> They're not gods anyway. He says, that's idolatry. The God, the Father, the one who created you, it's not the way we would worship him. It's not the way that, uh, that he built us to, uh, to, to learn and to grow. He says, so don't, don't uh, listen to those excuses for the anger of God, he says, will fall upon all who, what? Disobey him, yeah. All who challenge him, go against him. Yeah, the, the, the anger of God falls on them because it, and it's their choice to do that. He says, don't participate in the things these people do. For once you were, catch this, there was a time when you were full of darkness. That's on the inside. That's what has gotten into our hearts. That's what kind of lives inside of there. But now you have what? Light. There, there's a change that has occurred inside of you. He, he has brought the light of who Jesus is from the Lord. So live, he says, as people of light, for this light within you produces only what is, say these three with me, what is? Good and right and, boy, what a production. Can you imagine if God would produce those things in your life and in my life? How different our lives would be, especially as we live them and we get to the end and we look back and say, yes. Those were good things, healthy, healthy things, strong things, productive things, and uh, exactly what his light was uh, made to do. So I also decided to throw in one verse to you, for you because this is John, uh, who was called the beloved disciple. And John would say this. He would say, don't fall in love with the world. Now, let me explain again what that means. It doesn't mean that you, that you look at the trees and say they're not beautiful, or you look at the sunset, or you go to the Grand Canyon. No, that's not what he's, what he's talking about. He's talking about the way of the world that is not the way of God, that goes against God. And you don't want to fall in love with the world, that part of the world that chases the wrong things because if you fall in love with that part of the world you'll end up following that and you'll end up you know going after those things I would do this to my kids I try to teach my kids this you know you have these little things that you try to build into them and what I, I would teach my kids look 
if, if the world has, and I meant the world meaning the, the world outside of who God is, if the world has what you want, the world will own you. But if God has what you want, then God will own you. And you have to decide which one do you want. You want the temporary? Do you want the things that are just of this world and they're going to be attractive, they're going to taste good, they're going to be fast, they're going to say, but, but in the long run, they will not satisfy and they will not last and they will not sustain you at all. Is that, the, is that what you want? Then the, the world will tell you what to do and how you're supposed to live. But if, if God has what you want, if God is the one that you want, then, then you will move in a different direction. Here's how John puts it. He says, do not love, this is 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. He says, do not love the world nor the things in the world. And again, you're not talking about rocks and stones. He's, he's talking about uh, the world going uh, in the opposite direction of God. He says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, catch this, think about it, how true this, he says, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the what? The boastful pride of life. Yeah. When someone comes into you and says, are you a football coach, right? Yeah, that, that puffiness, that boastful pride of life. Yeah, I'm really important and I'm, I'm, I'm somebody. He says, it's not from the Father, but it is of the world. And then he adds this in verse 17. The world is what? Wow. The world is passing away. He's not talking about, you know, again, the, uh, the, the planet and the, the soul. He's not talking about that, even though it, it is. It, it has a lifespan also. He's talking about the things of the world that go against God. It, their, their ways are passing. They will not last. The world is passing away, and also it's lust. But the one who does the will of God lives what? Yes, because God lives forever. So if God builds something into us that lasts and that will live forever, then it sustains us and it, it brings great satisfaction. Um, so, and then the final part of what he's talking about in this first chapter is um, what you do feel your life, it's true, what, what, you, what you put inside your life eventually will be exposed. It, it eventually will show up in who you are, how you live, you'll eventually kind of end up in a place where you say, well, this is all a product of what I chose to fill my heart with and what I chose to go after, and I chose the wrong things, and so this is where it took me. And, and it's why a lot of times people later in life, well, all of a sudden, I, I, you know, maybe there's some people here, that would be their story. They say, I realized this later in life, and I decided I'm going to chase something else. And it's, the good news is it's not too late to do that. You can kind of wake up, swallow your own pride, right? And say, man, what was I doing? Why was I chasing the wrong things? And then decide to trust God and to follow God and let God, you know, build into your life. So here's what he says in verse 10. He says, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. That, he, listen, what, what a great line for us to, to hold on to. How do I know then? Well, what would please God? If God is the one who made you, if God is the one with plans for your life, what would please him? And I know, you know sometimes we think, yeah, but if I do what pleases God, it's going to be kind of boring. It's, no, it's not. It, it'll be anything but boring and um, unthrilling un, un, um, and, 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 and moving us. God is the very opposite of that. Verse 11, he says, take no part in the, worldless, in the worthless deeds 
of evil and darkness. Instead, he says, expose them. Ooh, there's something. Yeah, because you don't chase them. You say no, and then it exposes that those things are not of God. It is uh, shameful even to talk about the things the ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything, of course it does, everything visible. This is why it is said, and it's a great little poem, right, from the the Old Testament. Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead. Man, it's kind of like a wake-up call, right? Rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So be careful how you live, verse 15. This is, Brian did this last week. Careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. The contrast between a fool and the wise is as their life goes on at the end of their life. The fool has come to the end of their life only to find out that I lived my life for something that didn't count, didn't make it, didn't matter. I wasted my time and my life. And the wise have lived their lives and invested their lives. And at the end, it is entirely different how they, how they see and they understand. He says, verse 16, he says, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Makes sense after everything we read, why he would say that, right? Because the, the opportunity in these days and the time that we live is to be lured and to chase after something else. Verse 17, he says, so don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. One of the things that um, you've probably done this with your kids, that Joni and I would try to build into our kids, is a certain amount of humility. Have you done that also? Because you understand that if your kids are not humble, and that's sometimes what the contrast is, if you try to uh, encourage or or pump up your kids too much, you'll, you'll lose the sense of humility in their life, and that sense of humility is so key for them. And let me give you one, one of the reasons, one of the benefits of humility in your life. Humility gives you the ability to learn. If you're not humble, you say, I don't have anything to learn. I know everything. I already, I already got it all figured out. I've, I've told you this story before. My, my son, when he was in the first grade, into the first grade, time summer's over, time to go you know, to the second grade, back to school. And I had him in the car and I said, you know, Monday, you got to go back to school. He said, Why? <laughs> Same, you know, pretty typical of a first grader going to the second grade. Why? I said, well, there's, there's still a lot more to learn. He said, no, I already know everything I need to know. Yeah, that's of course. And he goes to second grade, not because he wanted to go to second. Now, my daughter was different. She couldn't wait to go back to school, but he didn't want to go back to second grade. He was like, no, I've already done that for a year. Isn't it over? Aren't we, aren't we finished with school and me having? No, it, this is just the beginning of all the things you have to learn. You, you've got to go back. Yeah, there, there's more. And I would tell you this, even at my age, I, I realize there's still so much more for me to learn. There's so much more that God has for me than, than, than even everything that he's had in all the years moving up to this point. And if I lose humility, if I think I already know it all, I've got everything already figured out, then I won't learn. I won't listen anymore. I'll say, no, I already know it all. I got it all figured out. I don't need any instruction or any help. And there's, there's this incredible strength and incredible power for the person that says, no, there's still so much more. God still has so much more. You know, I'm, I'm just starting to get it, starting to grasp who God is 
and what God wants to do and, and, and the glories, the wonders of, of God being real in our lives and what, what the, the power of God's love living inside of us, what that could do in the world, the difference it can make, not only in me, but in the people that I encounter. Would you pray with me this morning? And just for one minute, I would uh, ask you just to think about, and as you pray and you talk to God, you look to God, to say, God, would you help me to understand where I'm at? Because truthfully, a lot of times I just don't think about your perspective and what you want to build into my life. But would you help me to, to look at my life honestly, understand where I'm at? And would you, Lord, give me some humility. The humility that I need to still learn, to grow, to be excited about what's ahead because there's so much more ahead. At least that's what you say. Even when I lose sight of it and I forget and I get discouraged, you keep saying, but there's still so much more for us to learn. There's still a goal for us to pursue. And there's still Jesus himself to follow and those who've, become, who've gone before us to, to imitate the fact that they followed him also. And Lord, I want to move forward. I want to know the things and be a part of the things that, that you have for me. And if you're here and you've got kids, you, you, I know you want to say this, Lord, help me teach my kids the right way. Lord, help me build into them, help them with the things that could fill up their heart and would really matter inside of them would make a difference in their life as they go forward. And if you're like me, when you pray something like this, um, it seems like when, I've, when I pray for my kids in this way, God always comes back to me and he says, and how about you? And I say, yeah, you're right. I, I've got to have the same attitude and the same approach that I want my kids to have or how will they learn it? How will they see it in action? If you're here and you've never trusted that God is your father that he created you gave you life and in the midst of your struggles he sent his own son into this world to endure pain and suffering on your behalf to set you free so that you could know him so that you would not live a life saying everything that I've done and what I've filled my life up with has condemned me but instead he's freed me from that so that I can live a life with other things on the inside. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you came and you gave your life for me and you give me this gift of knowing you that I no way earned or thought up myself. I believe you. I believe you're God's son. I believe you're the savior of the world, the Messiah who would come to rescue the world from its own sin. So Lord, come live in me, forgive me my sins. Change me in the way that that you change the hearts of people, Lord. Teach me, fill me with your love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.